Welcome to the Beacon broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com, beaconbaptist.com. The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. In preparation for our study of 1 Thessalonians, we are laying the background material of the historical account in Acts chapter 16 and 17 of how it was that Paul came to Thessalonica and what is recorded about his ministry there by Dr. Luke, the sacred historian. We read in Acts 17.1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And so we've already seen they skipped by some cities, traveled 100 miles until they came to the city of Thessalonica, which was the largest city in Macedonia, and also had a synagogue, which is highly important to Paul and to the way that he strategized his missionary efforts. And so in verse 2 we read, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, that is, the Jews in the synagogue, And for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And so, utilizing the synagogue, Paul identified the Messiah. He demonstrated from the Scriptures that the promised Messiah must suffer, he must die. And he must rise again from the dead. These were facts. These are truths that are found in the Old Testament scriptures. All you have to do is open them to the proper place and find them recorded there as plain as the nose on your face. But as is common with many people, some most of the Jews had ignored the passages that talked about the promised Messiah being a suffering Messiah. They could not... They could not uh, understand that. They could not accept that, or they weren't, weren't willing to accept that. And so they ignored it and went on. And so when anyone came and preached to them about Jesus being the Christ, this one who suffered and died upon the cross, they found that very difficult to accept, in fact, impossible for most of them. They found it actually very offensive that their Messiah would suffer and die rather than reign in glory and power. But it was necessary for them to understand his suffering on the cross prior to his reigning in glory, for them to understand the work of Messiah and why he was coming and why they needed a suffering Savior. And so we'll continue in this vein on Monday, February 5, as you have joined us and as some of you are helping us by your financial support, which keeps us teaching on this station. Well, after Paul explained, back to verse 3, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer 
and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ, we read in verse 4, And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Many, we are told, believed the message of the gospel, preached from the Old Testament scriptures. There was no New Testament written scriptures yet. That was just now beginning to be given and certainly had not been been circulated and compiled at this early stage. And so the Bible that Paul used in his evangelism was the Old Testament. I wonder how many of us today could witness to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ using only the Old Testament scriptures. That would be challenging for most of us. We wouldn't know where to begin. But Paul knew exactly where to go. And so he opened the scriptures and proved to them that the Messiah promised by God was a suffering Messiah, a dying Messiah, but a resurrected Messiah. And so he got in the gospel very clearly how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And we read many believe and believed, and it designates for us what the different categories were that believed. Some were Jews. Most of the Jews did not. The majority did not, but a significant number, a significant minority believed. They recognized the truth that Paul was preaching, and they received it. They believed it, whereas the majority of them were not willing to accept it. That's really the only way I know how to put it, because their scriptures make this truth so plain. So how do they miss it? It's one thing to miss it when you're doing your own studying and maybe pass over something without giving it thought, without letting it sink in. We've all done that. But when someone patiently and unquestionably shows you, here it is in the Bible, here it is in the Scriptures, and then you still say, I don't believe that, I won't accept that, that's pretty hard to understand if you are truly a Christian, but I move on. Some Jews believed. Many devout Greeks believed. Now, what is a devout Greek as opposed to what would be the opposite of a devout Greek? We might say, well, a Greek who's not devout. But actually, the opposite would be a heathen Greek, an idol-worshiping Greek. The devout Greeks were those who had come to believe that the true God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And coming to believe that, they were now worshiping with Jews in the synagogue because that's where they learned more about the God that they had come to accept as the only true and living God. And so they are devout Greeks. They had not yet become Jews fully. They, they were not Jewish proselytes in the sense that they had committed themselves to the Jewish religion completely. It's kind of like people today who who have received Jesus Christ by faith, but have not yet been baptized. What, what would you call them? Is it possible for a person to be saved and be un, unbaptized? Of course. Of course. If it weren't possible, then the thief on the cross could never be with Jesus in paradise on the very day that he died. 
Baptism is not a requirement for salvation, but baptism is a requirement for obedience for those who have been saved. Baptism is a requirement for identification with the people of God, to be identified as a Christian, to be recognized as a Christian, to be known as a Christian, we need to be baptized, a public testimony of our faith in Christ. Well, there were many Greeks who believed in the Jewish scriptures and believed in the Jewish God, but they were not willing to be circumcised and to follow a strict kosher diet and all of these things. And so, Though they worshipped with the Jews in the synagogue, they had not yet become proselytes. They had not become fully fully converted to Judaism. They were just, I don't know how to put it exactly. I don't want to really say they were just hanging around the edges because they were. there was more than that. But they weren't really fully committed either. It was kind of a hot halfway situation. But many of them believed in Christ and no doubt were baptized as Christians. So some Jews believed, many devout Greeks believed, and several of those who believed were prominent women, we are told. And some of them were persuaded, verse 4, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks. And not a few, not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Not a few is a rather understated way of saying quite a few. <laughs> Not a few, but quite quite many, quite a few. C- prominent women. We are not told if the prominent women were Jews or Greeks, if they were Jews or Gentiles, or very possibly, very likely, some of each. But what we are told is that they were prominent, which means they were in the upper echelons of society in the city of Thessalonica. They may have been wives of government officials or of wealthy businessmen, or they themselves may have been wealthy businesswomen, like in Philippi, Lydia, the seller of purple, who was a a woman who was a wealthy businesswoman. So quite a few people were saved, certainly a promising beginning for a church when you've got some Jews lots of devout Greeks who had already come to believe that the Old Testament scriptures are indeed the word of God and that Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the true God. And they had come to believe that the the Messiah, that the Old Testament scriptures, which they were studying, they were hearing in the synagogue every Sabbath, prophesied of the coming of a Savior, a Messiah, an anointed one, And they came to believe that Jesus, that Paul was talking about, indeed was, or should I say is, that Messiah. He fulfills the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah perfectly. It was not too long ago that I heard that Alfred Edersheim, a very well-known writer, a a converted Jew, a, a a Jew who believes in Jesus Christ and wrote wrote uh, many things about about uh, Jewish society and culture and the scriptures. Very very um, very prominent man in in scholastic circles. 
Not very many average church members know too much about him, but in seminaries, in academia, he is well-known. And I, and I heard on the radio a, a well-known Bible teacher say that Alfred Endersheim had identified, I think it was 456 Old Testament prophecies about, about Jesus Christ. Well, that is an astonishing number. I knew, know there are a lot, but I can't say that I have identified 456. But this <clears throat> this um, radio preacher went on to say, he's a pastor of a church in another state, and he went on to say that those references, those 456 references were all listed in his book, I think the second volume of his book, The Life and Times of Jesus Christ the Messiah, and they took, I think, maybe 15 or 20 pages in that book to to list all of these with the references and the footnotes that would help to document it. So I actually have a copy of Edersheim's book, and I pulled mine down, and I I didn't, uh, in, in a quick glance, I didn't locate where that was found, but I, I, I expect it is true. In fact, this radio preacher went on to say that Edersheim claimed that though he had identified 456, he didn't think he had actually identified all of them yet. Wow. My point is that the Old Testament is filled with prophecies about the Christ. If you'll study them, you will be able to identify Jesus as the Christ. And many of these in Thessalonica did exactly that. Until tomorrow, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.